Hey friends, and welcome to the Modern Medusa Podcast. Welcome back to the Modern Medusa podcast. This is your host, Dominique DeFalco of DeFalco Reptiles. I am very excited for tonight's guest. She is a fellow female Morelia keeper. She's a murderino, which if you know, you know. And she is um, just someone I really genuinely value and look up to in the hobby. And I am so absolutely honored to have her here with us tonight. So please join me in welcoming Summer Grace Mitchell or Girl with Scales. Hey, what's up? Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Good. I you have like the clearest audio of any guest I've had. Oh uh, yeah, it's a music recording mic. So yeah, this is um a fifty dollar mic off Amazon. Uh, thank you so much, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> good to me. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Summer. How's your day going? Oh, it's good. It's Monday, but it's a good Monday. I know. I know. I, I'm not gonna lie. I was like taking a nap, and I was like, "Okay, you have to send Summer the link, or else like you just it's just not gonna end well." <laughs> I was cleaning. I was cleaning water bowls, like rushing to clean water bowls before I got I got ready to sit down and do this. See, so. you were productive. I was not. I like I got to work this morning, and I I don't know why the hell my office does this. We've an all office meeting every morning, every Monday morning at eight fifteen. No, thank ridiculous you. and rude. So I get to work. I usually check my email before going in the office. Of course I don't today. I get to work and there's a sign on this door. This is office closed. Oh, <laughs> I oh, that's the work. realize it. So luckily I was able to get into the office, took my meeting from my computer and then like went home, but it was just like a shit day from the start. <laughs> oh man. That's the worst. Yeah. We had a, a bur- burst water main. So it's only a really- so great is and we got a email they're like well hopefully it'll be fixed by tomorrow we'll check to see if the toilets are overflowing and I was like yeah please do so that's my saga but this is definitely the best possible way to end my day I am so excited to be chatting with you um because I you know I said it in the intro but I truly mean it I really look up to you I think you're a phenomenal keeper and it's very exciting to chat with you well I appreciate that and I'm excited to be on because uh I I love this podcast. Well, I love most reptile podcasts and podcasts in general, but (laughs) I was really happy there was like a female focused one and you obviously have the the female reptile keepers group, which is awesome. So I'm really excited that you're doing this. Well, thank you. This could just turn into a gush. I'm not even joking. Like just just a compliment off. (laughs) Fast forward like 20 minutes. Let us get this out of our system. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Summer. So I mentioned that you are a Morelia keeper. So before we get into like your history with animals, can you tell me a little bit about what you're keeping right now? Yeah. So I do mostly have Morelia. Um, Actually, let me think. I only have, no, I don't. That's a lie. I was going to say only have Morelia except for one thing. That's not true. I have mostly Morelia and then I have a few strays. I have a California king snake and then a super door free tick files mm-hmm. and then i have um i've got brettles pythons i've got carpet pythons and i have a beautiful rough scale python yeah i was watching the rough scale video i literally have on my second monitor right now it's morph market with rough scale pythons pulled up oh yeah I know. <laughs> so i was looking at it, i was like do i need to pay rent like i don't i think oh, i probably should i forgot i also have lizards <laughs> so you've got a small menagerie and then besides that you also full-time work with reptiles. Is that correct? Yes. So in 
Jan- in Feb- at the end of January, I started full-time working reptile adjacent. I mean, it's, it's with reptiles. I work for JKR and I do social media and content creation and mm-hmm. some kind of like assistant stuff too as well. Awesome. So for those who don't know what JKR is, can you give us a little rundown about who he is and what their facility does? Oh, so uh, JKR is Jacob Elka Reptiles mm-hmm. and Justin is the owner, uh, founder, and he is a, a, a ball python breeder who is one of the top in the industry in terms of crazy morphs and really pioneering the cutting edge high end kind of stuff. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely cool. I love the videos you put out about them. Like I know you do a lot of their YouTube videos and editing and stuff. You definitely have a talent for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a learning experience because I didn't really like go to school for that or anything. I just Mm -hmm. started doing it. So every time I do it, I feel like I'm learning something new. Yeah. What was your education in? I have a music business degree. Oh God. Yeah. Because at the same time, you're also just like this phenomenal musician. I'm not really doing, I'm not really using my degree, sad, sad to say, but I use it in other ways. I use it for, yeah, like, like making intros for reptile podcasts and stuff. Right now, your life is very much uh, revolving around reptiles, but let's take a step back. And can you tell me a little bit about growing up? Um, Where are you from? What was your experience like with pets or reptiles or just animals in general growing up? So I'm from the Metro Atlanta area, Marietta, if anybody is from here. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a very animal household. My mom is a big animal person. So shout out to my mom, Beth. And she has always, my grandma's an animal person. I just come from a line of animal people. And so Mm -hmm. growing up, I was always that house that had like all the weird animals. Like (laughs) we had emus, we had peacocks, we had- Oh, wow. You really, really had the weird animals. Yeah. We had everything. Dogs. When I was born, my mom had 13 cats. Like who has 13 cats? Wow. But yeah, so one of the animals that she had when I was- I'm trying to remember if she actually had, I, thinking back, I think that she had them when I was born, um, mm-hmm. but she had a pair of boas uh, mm-hmm. just BI, or BI, whatever they're called now. Um, and so I, for me, that was not anything weird. Mm-hmm. So I would say that I was like super into reptiles when I was really young, but like it was just there, like there was a big giant boa in my house and I wasn't afraid of it or anything. It was very normalized. Right. Um, so just from that, I always had kind of an appreciation for them. We would always get, you know, we'd pick up box tor- box turtles or tortoises and keep them for a little bit and set them free. We'd get tadpoles. We'd do the mm-hmm. whole thing. We had a uromastix. Like we had a bunch of random animals. So I was always exposed. And then when it really kicked off for me was my 11th birthday. My mom took me to the pet store. We had a local like mom and pop pet shop that my mom kind of was friends with the owner. Mm-hmm. And she let me pick out well there was just a, they had brought in a litter i'm sure of probably like wild caught or something um of baby boas and so she was like well do you want one for your birthday and i was like sure she was like well if we get this you're gonna have to be in charge of it like you're gonna have to research like how to take care of it and do all that stuff of course mm-hmm. she, well, because she already had some like in the past but right it was kind of my thing so i then went home and I was a really big internet kid too. So I got on the forums and I was, this was probably, this was 2004. So yeah, I got on like the forums on my horrible dial up internet and <laughs> I started researching reptiles and boas and how to take care of them. And I just found this whole, whole world of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I just lied about my age and signed up for all these websites. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and I just went from there and just became totally obsessed. Um, mm-hmm. 
So yeah, from there, I just started researching. And then, you know, everybody in this community knows once you start kind of, you get that bug, then you see all these other cool animals that everybody has. And suddenly your list of all these things you want just starts growing and growing and growing. And that's definitely what happened with me. So it's so interesting that you're introduced at such a young age and you seem to have come at it from an angle that you just don't you don't see as much with kids who get into the hobby is like using the internet forums as, as ways to research. Cause most people it's like, Hey, this is what the pet store told me. Mm-hmm. And then their story is like, Oh yeah, my first snake died. And then the third and fourth one died too. And I finally figured it out when I got on Facebook, but it seems like you're really oh, different. No, Like I was like that annoying kid who would like go to the pet store and tell the people at the pet store they were <laughs> Like it was bad because I did. I like I volunteered at that pet store for a while because I um, like that you volunteered at a pet store. So it's just it was child labor. <laughs> it, it really was. And what they would do is like there was teenagers that worked there and got paid, but they would basically make me do all their work while they sat and talked. And then mm-hmm. when I got done doing all their work, the the payment was that I was allowed to hold whatever I wanted. <laughs> would just go back and get random lizards and yeah I remember maybe I, I should do that maybe I should find like a friend who's got a kid who wants to just oh, clean cages the terrible thing is that then the animals get sold and I'm I got it I would get that like I remember the blue tongue skink that I loved and I really mm-hmm. wanted it but I just didn't think my mom would let me have it and I came in one day to volunteer and it was gone and I cried <laughs> so- oh god <laughs> yeah maybe it was good you're a volunteer uh- <laughs> yeah for sure so you know you're um you get this boa you are on the forums like learning about care and such what was your setup like when you had this first boa so honestly looking back it could have been worse Mm -hmm. i didn't heat rocks i didn't that's exactly what i was gonna say did you have heat rocks no so i so i got this baby boa and i'm we put it in a 20 gallon tank and uh it had a heat lamp and i think it had a heat lamp and an under tank heater aquarium screen top um had a fish uh, like a a branch that's made for fish Mm -hmm. we just put it in there i think it had like repti carpet yeah oh well um and you know a nice water bowl i mean it wasn't like the the worst cage ever but it wasn't the best but uh the bad thing about the fish branch was that they have those holes in them so that they can sink and my snake for sure got stuck in there and we had to saw it open (laughs) yeah i have i have some of those so I, I work for a rescue and, um, they get a lot of supplies in when new animals come in. And so oftentimes like I'll kind of go through the garage and like take supplies and then obviously thoroughly bleach, bake, do everything I possibly can to clean it. But I have so many of those, uh, those fish hides. I've started just using that like great stuff, foam, foam, the whole inside of it. So yep. nothing can get there. It looks hideous, but it works. And my but brettles I- love it. That's what I should have done. Yeah. But yeah, you live and you learn, you know, (laughs) so you're 11, you get this Bella. What was your journey like with reptiles from there? So when was your next animal that was like your own? So pretty quick. I feel I, I, again, it was a long, it was 15. Oh God, how old am I? It was a long time ago now. So, uh, I don't remember exactly how fast, but over the course of a year or two, Mm -hmm. I got, then I got a ball Python because of course I went online and ball pythons were such the rage at that time. And that was still at the time where a regular person really couldn't, I mean, maybe some regular people, not a regular person of my like economic status could mm-hmm. really afford a morph. Like if right. you got a single gene, like pastel, that was going to still cost you a couple thousand dollars. So that's insane. Uh, like looking at that today, cause those are given away. Oh yeah. No, it was, it's, and it's weird because I, I don't know, like it just seemed like such an unattainable thing 
Mm-hmm. And I just remember looking on the, like, I, I would go on Constrictors Unlimited and Bob Clark and all these different people and look at their their morphs and all the, the combos they were making, which were bumblebees and lemon blasts. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh my God, one day, like when I'm like a millionaire <laughs> and I'm, I'm grown up, I'll be able to have one. Yeah. Like, but yeah, so-, so I got that Python. And then after that, I got um, another ball python. I got another boa. I got in. I got. I went to my first reptile show. I got a leopard gecko there. I got another leopard gecko. I got five more leopard geckos. Mm-hmm. I got three or four bearded dragons. I got a bunch of stuff really pretty quickly. Um, too yeah. Quickly. So. And you're kind of sitting with like the. I hate to use the term basic, but like the more common beginner species. Yeah, I was, I was, I was 11 and I was getting all of the things that I thought everybody should have, right. that we did have. And therefore I was like, well, I need to have these too, because everybody does have, everybody has them. Right. Everybody had a leopard gecko. Oh, I got a crested gecko too. Everybody had a crested gecko. I kind of just went down the list of all of the mainstays mm. and slowly collect, well, not slowly, but quickly collected them all. <laughs> You have these animals, you get them in your 11, you're in your 20s now. Do you still have any of these animals? One. Which one? I have a bearded dragon. Her name is okay. Ruth. And I got her when, I got her in 2004. Maybe it was 2005. No, I think I got her in 2004. So she is 17? Yeah, just about. Um, yeah, she's 17. She she doesn't live with me anymore. She lives at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. I mean, she lives in the same place. I moved out. Mm-hmm. Uh, she lives in my mom's house and my sister takes care of her. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, she sends, me, she sends me updates. Good. And so did the rest of them just, were you like getting yeah. rid of them or did they just pass? So no, like I said, I got everything way too quickly mm-hmm. and it very quickly became overwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. And um, it was also in the midst of my parents getting divorced and my mom getting remarried. So in a, I think there was like kind of two phases, like we moved houses and we got my mom rehomed probably about half of my collection. Mm-hmm. We moved houses again and she rehomed the other half sans the lizard. Okay, cool. So, so you were kind of sitting, you know, you kept what was your core animals, which seemed to yeah. be a dragon. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't really my choice. So right. it was mm-hmm. a child. So I just had to do what my mom told me. But also at the same time, looking back, I definitely was in over my head with how many animals I had. Mm-hmm. So I don't blame her for doing that. But then I'm also like, you also were the one that bought them. So yeah. like, I don't know. Like, Yeah. Did, do you think your mom had the mentality? And um, I don't say this to be like rude towards parents at all but I know my mom definitely had the mentality when I got my first lizard is that they're kind of like a disposable animal like a goldfish like you would get it and they would you know you could get another one if it if it died or something or was your mom I don't think so because none of my animals and knock on wood I've never had a reptile die Mm -hmm. Um, so I take that back when I was a child my uromastics died while we were on vacation but I was like five. Yeah. Um, I've never had a reptile that I was caring for die. Knock on wood. Hallelujah. I mean, like it'll one day change, unfortunately, but to this date. So it wasn't anything like that. I think it was just that I wasn't doing as much of the upkeep as my mom wanted me to be doing. Mm-hmm. And it was falling on her. Yeah. And she didn't want to be doing all of it. So she yeah. was like, no. <laughs> Which makes sense. Like you're, you're yeah, a kid. Yeah. So <laughs> that makes right. sense. I mean, but, but at the same time, like, that's why right now, as I've gotten back into it and grown my collection up, I'm very, very conscious about how fast I do it mm-hmm. because of my experience in the past and just knowing that it's so easy to be 
to want all these animals because we love yeah. them. And, yeah. And it's much harder to, and now with my mindset too, I'm just a little bit more aware of exactly what it requires because I am an adult and I have to pay for everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just, yeah, I'm glad for that learning experience because I think it's made me a more responsible keeper now mm -hmm. because I don't, I don't really jump into things. It takes me a long time to make a purchase. Right. Which is, you know, it's a very good thing, especially because you mentioned it in one of your videos because I was binging your YouTube channel before this, um, which will plug like follow summer on, on YouTube. It's a great channel. Um, what'd you say? It's the best channel. It is the best channel. I realized I wasn't subscribed. Oh, no, just kidding. I felt like such a jerk. I was like, shit. It's like when you are friends with someone and you realize you don't follow their Instagram and you're like, oh crap. I'm an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but you made a good point and you had like a video of like, what's the best beginner animal? Because a lot of people ask that question and you're like, focus on the money, not only to buy the animal, to care for it long-term because yes, it's less expensive than a cat or a dog, but you buy a hatchling carpet Python and you're not thinking when you buy that one animal about the $600 cage it's going to need. Like not too long for when you buy it, you know? <laughs> oh, for sure. And, and I think with the other thing that slows me down with, with purchasing and building is the fact that I'm, you know, I'm trying to be more complex with my caging and kind of go for, I'm not trying to have a room full of like, and, and this is, I'm not trying to degrade anybody that does have this. I've been there. Um, but like, I'm trying not to have a room full of like every aquarium I could find at the thrift store, like just ran, you know what I mean? I'm trying to be very like, this is a cage for life for this animal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm trying to invest so that I don't have to like be stressed out about like, oh my gosh, everything's outgrowing things. And cause that just really stresses me out. So just adding another layer into like <laughs> my complex of being stressed and anxious all the time is like, yeah. <laughs> when I animal, I'm like thinking 20 years in the future. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that's a, both a blessing and a curse to be able to have, you know, cause I've got really bad anxiety too. And so I'm constantly worried about things and it's like, okay, it keeps me on my toes and keeps me prepared, but also keeps me very upset all the time. <laughs> It's like everything is really, really like everything is in order. All the all the eyes are dotted, T's are crossed, and I'm also like in a ball on the floor. So <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like you hear it breathe once, and you're like, it's Nido. Everything's dead. <laughs> sure, that's the end of it. Do I need to be in the hobby anymore? You know? <laughs> like, and I mean, I'm just being real. You can get this out if you want or leave it in. I have like I do have anxiety about that, like big time. Not Nido specifically, but like sometimes I get nervous to take my animals out because I'm like, I don't want to hear something bad. Yeah. Yeah. Something wrong. Yeah. So. And I, I think that's, you know, that's like, that's a hard thing. I mean, I'm comfortable discussing this. I know that we have both talked, um, about like anxiety issues, like together we have. And like, it's one of those things that like can keep me up at night sometimes, especially when you're working with animals. It's like, not only are you worried about their, their health and like their care, but I'll be laying in bed. It's three in the morning. And I'm like, I have to go check the locks again. Oh, I have to go check to make sure everyone has water. Yep. Like it's just these kinds of things that it's, it's really hard to, it's hard to deal with that when you're dealing with a larger collection of animals. Because like I have OCD. So mm -hmm. the lock thing, 100%, because I can check it 10 times and then I go to bed and I lay there for 30 minutes and I'm like, Oh, did I really check it? Like, did I, yeah. really, like, 
be locked. And it's like, I could just be like, Summer, you're, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Of course it's locked. But the consequence of it not being locked mm-hmm. is like, no, I got to get up and go check because right. I don't want an animal to get out, my cat to get it. You know, it's just, oh yeah, my God, the cat is the biggest fear. My cat needs to go. I love her, but she needs to get out of my face when I'm doing my reptiles. <laughs> Luckily, my cat, I mean, I didn't do this, so don't come at me, but my cat is declawed and she only has three teeth. So, oh, she's um, yeah, she's not much of a threat, <laughs> but she's definitely a little bit more interested than I like her to be. Mm-hmm. You know, especially I mentioned it to you before we started recording. I'm in the process of moving. Um, the day this comes out is the day before I move. So I'm, very concerned like I'm very sure I'm going to be very stressed when this comes out um but I'm finally moving to a space where I can like shut the door between me and my cat when I work with the animals that is gonna be so nice I dream of that I kind of have see my collection right now is split into two rooms I have some in this room and then I have Mm -hmm. some in my living room Mm -hmm. and this room is nice because the door closes but the problem is over here I don't have a sink so I still like even if I'm doing maintenance I have to either leave the door open or constantly be closing and opening and closing and opening. And it's such a pain. My cat runs through. I can't keep her out. I was, like I said, I was cleaning water bowls before this. And I was literally like yelling at my cat. My boyfriend, Mm -hmm. what's she doing? Yeah. Yeah. They're always happen to be underfoot exactly when you don't want them to be. Yes. And I have like some curious snakes that like when I open the cage, they want, they're trying to come out. Right. she they're trying to come out and she's trying to get in and I'm like it's not a good mix I I did have one time my the the snake was out of the cage like away from the cat but I had just adopted my cat and she was like looking in one of the brettles cages um and this is before I upgraded them like they were in smaller like very simple setups and I was holding the snake and I was like I'm just gonna see what she does and she jumped in the cage and she's like oh and I was like all right we're not gonna encourage that behavior so you mentioned earlier that you're working on like advancing your husbandry. And then you also talk about your, how you have animals that are very curious, but specifically working with Morelia and the Brettles pythons, uh, mostly you notice that they compared to other animals are a more curious species. So I know you've worked with Lori Turini a bit on, you know, choice-based handling and tap or tap training and hook training your snakes and such, but can we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I, like I said, I've kept ball pythons and I see a bajillion of them at work every day and boas and which are also pretty curious animals. But I find that the Moralia. Okay. So actually I find that my, my super dwarf is my most curious animal Mm -hmm. in terms of if I am doing something, he is watching me. Mm -hmm. Uh, My other, my Moralia, they are curious, but in a more on their like laissez-faire like on their own terms kind of way Mm -hmm. like it suits them whereas the super dwarf is like obsessed and I'm like stop leave me yeah (laughs) so Um, what do you what do you mean when you say that I just mean like like today for instance I went to clean water bowls and I almost can't clean the water bowl because he's trying to get out and get on to me and he's just very much the only time that he ever isn't like that is if he's Mm -hmm. in and other than that, he pretty much always wants to be out or or not even be out because I opened the cage and I have like a little jungle gym I've made. Yeah, and I put almost like a parrot stand. Yeah, and I, and I put that next to the cage so that if he wanted to get out while I was cleaning the water, I was hoping that he would go that way and like, mm-hmm. uh, what's the word? Occupy himself with that yeah. thing. 
instead of me. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He just like looked around and then he just like sat in the cage, like staring at me, but like not in a defensive way, just like, what's going on? Like goofy looking. And yeah, I don't know. It's very strange. I'm, I'm sure not all super dwarfs are like that, but he just seems very interested in me and what I'm doing at all times. Mm-hmm. Which is fun, kind of, because it's different for a snake, because usually they they're either tolerant of you or like actively disliking you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also like kind of annoying when I'm trying to like actually get something done. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, and I, I understand what you're saying, especially cause I didn't, so I didn't really understand like what you meant by that. Like when I watched your videos if, until I got brettles pythons and those just are very much more inquisitive species than anything I've worked with. So my other Morelia is green trees they don't give a shit about whether I'm in the cage or not. The only time I have one that will actively strike at me at night. And that's the only time they pay attention to me. Right. But I was, I will be frank. I was like a little bit, I don't want to say judgmental, but I was like weary to like understand a lot of what you and Lori spoke about specifically because I hadn't worked with the animals. And I was curious how you, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Cause I don't want to sound like a dick. <laughs> How do you um, manage to like appreciate and understand the personality of the animals you're working with while not blurring the line between that and anthropomorphizing them or like adding too many human characteristics to what you're working with? I think the only thing you have to watch out for is when you anthropomorphize to the detriment of the animal. Mm -hmm. So like I don't take an issue with necessarily attributing like a feeling or a thought to an animal Mm -hmm. if it's just you know kind of creative thinking you know what i mean like we don't actually know what they're thinking so for all we know that is what they're thinking right at the point where you're like my snake loves to come out and uh, sit on top of my dog while my dog walks (laughs) Like, you know, like some yeah. people do like weird stuff and they're like, no, my snake loves it. I'm like, I really, really don't think so. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, to the degree where you can kind of just watch the animal and watch their body language and kind of infer from that mm-hmm. how they are thinking, feeling. And I'm not saying I'm right all the time, but I think that it allows me to appreciate them and it inspires me to give them better care. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times anthropomorphizing, anthropomorphication, I don't know what the word is. I don't think anyone knows how to say the words, so just say it. Yeah. Make it a new word. And whatever. <laughs> it gets a bad rap a lot of times because mm-hmm. it, you know, we often think like, oh, you're putting a, a hat on your snake and a little mustache or whatever. And like, yes, that's like, okay. But I think to a greater degree, if we do kind of allow them to have a higher level of thinking in our heads we're more inclined to give them better care Mm -hmm. because all you have to do is think about how you would feel in a certain situation and if you wouldn't like it then your snake probably wouldn't like it either and maybe i'm wrong you know like maybe my snake really doesn't care about 99 percent of the things but Mm -hmm. if they don't care then there's no harm. But assuming assuming that they don't care and doing things that actually do bother them is harmful. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I think that's a I think that's a great way of putting it. And and I think it's just something that didn't really occur to me when I first got started in the hobby. And it's something that I'm 
continuing to learn about, especially in the last couple of years, as you're seeing this like advancing husbandry movement really like come into play with providing enrichment for animals that doesn't really seem like it does much, but you know, I had an animal pass, um, earlier this year, but he was a green tree python, didn't do anything except when I brought him out onto like an exercise perch and I would sit him there while I did my work and he'd on my desk and he moved constantly. Yeah. You know, and it, it was, he was never defensive or like in any way seemed like in peril, but it was definitely like a, like almost a mood switch, you know? Right. Well, and I think the thing, what I really go back to all the time is just choices. Mm-hmm. If the animal doesn't want to do something, it's not going to do it. But if it does, I want it to have the option. So I just try to give my animals as many choices as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And whatever they choose to do is up to them. So if I give them a bigger cage and I give them more things to climb on and they end up just sitting in a little hide all the time, that's their choice. Right. But the opposite would be me assuming that they didn't want to do any of the other things or need to or have the desire or that it would be beneficial, whatever you want to phrase it like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and them not having the opportunity and restricting them from doing something. Right. I would never be able to know that I was restricting them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I guess that's what it comes down to for me is just I want to give them the choices to do different things and mimicking as much of the possibilities that there would be in the wild is, I think, the best way to do that for me. Mm-hmm. So then when you get a new animal in, so I, this isn't typically like how most breeders treat their animals, not in like a, a bad way, but most of the time when you're buying a new animal, it's coming from like a rack system or more simple setup. What is your, um, transition like from getting the new animal to starting to work with it, to getting it in these more elaborate enclosures with that like choice-based handling? So I've done it all sorts of ways. I have, I have a rack system, um, mm-hmm. that, I, that I was using for growing up babies and Mm -hmm. now all those babies are big enough that i've been able to put them in pvc cages so now i'll be using that for probably just that purpose exactly quarantine Mm -hmm. Um, before that i was just using the tub setup for quarantine just in a different room in my house and my like i said i've done i've done both i've done like no transition like i've done like my super door free tick he came from reach out reptiles garrett and a uh, great guy. And he, I just put straight into this cage, which is a two by two little cube with a bunch of stuff in it. And it's not a huge giant cage. I mean, it's, I'm sure bigger than a, a tub or something that he might've been in, but it's not like the biggest cage in the world, but he had no issues. Uh, he settled in perfectly fine. And he's, like I said, like my most outgoing snake. Other snakes I have, uh, like, okay, I'll give a different example. I got a snake from Jacob Bratz, JLB Morelia. Mm-hmm. And we love Jacob. Yeah. And that snake I got from him, he sent it to me and I put it in a quarantine tub and I put it in, I think, a 12 quart. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't eat. And he was like, Well, I had it in a six quart. So I had to move it back down to a six quart, get it started, get it going, get it solid. And then I was able to move it up later. So mm-hmm. I just go animal by animal. Like if I had put my my super dwarf in that cage and he did terrible, I would have moved him out and put him in something more similar to the uh the breeder. And usually I do try to mimic what the breeder does as much as possible, mm-hmm. but I also kind of introduce more complexity because depending on the breeder, they might not have any, anything but a water bowl in there. Right. Um, so I'll definitely at least add a hide or two or like a little branch or something for quarantine, just so they have something to kind of get them transitioning towards a more complex setup. Awesome. So when did you start having this mentality of, of like providing enrichment and, you know, 
changing the setup of the animal to fit its personality. When did you see that shift in your keeping? So it's actually kind of, I went on a journey with it because I started out that way, right? Like when I first got into snakes, Mm -hmm. I had everything in tanks with branches and lights and all this stuff. But then on forums, it became kind of taboo. Like it was very much like, oh, you got to keep in a tub. Tubs are the only way to keep proper temps and humidity. So right. even if it wasn't a rack, it was like, you still have to have a tub. A tub is the way to go, which is nothing wrong with tubs. But anyway, so that's what I started switching to was tubs because that's what everybody was saying was the right way to do things. Mm-hmm. And I had just as much success. I mean, not, like I said, all my animals were healthy. So I, I kept in tubs for a while. And then what really happened was, like I said, I'd gotten out of snakes for a couple of years. I had I had, I had, had one in high school and then I got out of them when I went to college. And then my mom actually got my king snake, which is what kind of got me back going in the reptiles. Mm-hmm. And when she got her, it came with she like an aquarium. Weird story on her. I won't go into it, but she got the snake with a whole setup. Yeah. So that was already kind of enriched in a way and i never and i was never thinking about this in terms of enrichment that's kind of a thing that i've you know grown to understand the meaning of as you know as we all do as we learn and read and talk to other people and things but all right added complexity to her setup and then from there i just kind of i i don't have a ton of animals so Mm -hmm. it seemed i didn't have a reason really to get a bunch of racks or anything because I didn't have that many animals. And like I was telling you, I was intentionally going really slowly with getting stuff because Mm -hmm. my goal when I got every single animal I got was that I wanted it to be in like what I considered a suitable setup, not like a temporary setup before I got another animal. Mm -hmm. That was my like marker for when I was allowed myself to get something. So when I did end up getting that's I have a very small rack system when I did end up getting that my measure was okay so I have this animal in here that's a baby it's going to grow up a little bit and then before I can get anything else so I kind of defeated the purpose of having a rack because I had a rack but I would only ever have one animal in it yeah <laughs> so I told myself I've got to get this animal out of here and into a more permanent lifelong enclosure mm-hmm. before I can get another animal mm-hmm. so I don't know it wasn't really like there was never really a moment where I was like oh man i this was wrong or some, anything like that. I just, it just felt better for me personally. I just, yeah. I wanted to see my, honestly, what it really is, is I like to see my animals. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be able to watch them. And so I was like, well, I want to get them in cages where I can see them. And I don't want to have to buy 700 cages all at once. So I need to buy one at a time, slowly get all these animals, get them in the cages, get everything going. Mm-hmm. So, you know, taking a step back. So you were out of you kind of were stepping away from reptiles for a while, still had that bearded dragon that you have now, and you get this king snake. Um, what was your transition from there to a more unique species, such as getting into Moralia or moving away from keeping like ball pythons and, and beardies and such? Okay, so I got the king snake, <clears throat> and for a while I just had her. And so I had always been interested in these other species. Mm-hmm. The problem was I had never up until I got the king snake or my mom got the king snake and it became mine. I had been a, a dependent, right? I'd been in high school or younger. Mm-hmm. And so I really didn't have money to spend on things. Right. So I was always having to basically buy 
pretty cheap animals. So that was really, I would have loved to have had more expensive animals. Um, well, I say more expensive, more unique, which usually means more expensive. Yes. <laughs> they go so, hand in hand. Yeah, unfortunately. So, <laughs> when I was in high school, I have really vivid memories because I got, I had, my mom had gotten rid of all my snakes and I still had a couple lizards and I was like, you know what? I really want an Angolan python. Like I got really, I really want, I had like, I, I remember being, <sighs> that's a bucket list. That's a bucket yeah. list species oh. I was on vacation at the beach. Instead of being at the beach, <laughs> I was sitting on the computer, like making a financial plan for like how much, <laughs> like what cage I would need. And mm -hmm. like, that was how I had in the past when I bought, I'm such a nerd when I would get animals, that was how I would do it. When I, I mean, like, that's so smart. Like that's such a good foundation. Like, I'm like, here is the animal I want. Here's all the information about it. Here's how much it costs. Here's how I'm going to get it. Mm -hmm. Can I do it. And then she would be like, sure. And give me money. Right. So that was how I had done everything. So that was what I was doing. And I wanted an golem Python. Um, I never ended up, I guess I got nervous and never asked my mom for it, but they're so, Oh my God, that's a species that I just love. I really still want one. I think it was, uh, I think Terry Burwell. He's on, he's on our, uh, JKR has like a Patreon. I think it's Terry Burwell. He had like a clutch, mm -hmm. his, his angle and laid a, laid a clutch and I'm jealous. I'm so. pretty sure, oh, I'm pretty I sure Jason Brumley had a clutch too. I want to get, that's what, that's definitely on my list. I, I'm almost yeah. maxed out in terms of the species, like not maxed out, but I'm almost like, I'm a very like reasonable person. So I like have a pretty like reasonable list of things that I realistically would like to keep of course yeah. i love a lot of things but realistically that is an animal that's on my list that i do want to keep in mm -hmm. the yeah that's on my list too i've got i have a i have a uh, reptile bucket list yeah. <laughs> and it's like i just want to have it once i don't need to breed it i just want to keep one of them <laughs> oh so i'm saying i'm just like i need a one or a pair or something just just to have it yeah 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 so you know you're a very practical keeper even from a very young age did you ever, um, or do you ever see yourself as a breeder or are you primarily a keeper? So I, I do want to breed, but I struggle with it because mm -hmm. of that practicality yeah. that I naturally have. And it is something that I do want to do. And kind of going back to what you were talking about, like, how did you transition from like basically all the common pets you can have to kind of the more fringe and it's not even super French, but it's like borderline French stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really because I started, I, I loved boas, right? That was my first snake. And my mom mm -hmm. had boas. I got the king snake and then I had gone to a repticon and I got a ball python. And I was like, I really want a boa. Like I just, I need to get a boa like for just me, for a pet. Mm -hmm. I started researching them because I'm that type of person. I started listening to all sorts of podcasts. And of I course. found an interview with Vin Russo that Morelli Python Radio had done. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I was like, oh, this that was a really good interview. And I started listening to more of their things. And I had also like, I'd always known about carpet pythons, but I'd always heard they were bitey. And yeah. that made me nervous. Like I was like, I don't want a mean snake. Mm -hmm. So I kind of strayed away from them. But listening to their podcast, I heard them talking about how it was like kind of a misconception. And I was like, huh, well, maybe, maybe that's not that big of a deal. So that kind of really was what turned me on to kind of taking that seriously because I'd always known about them and I thought they were pretty and everything, but I just kind of thought they probably wouldn't make a good fit for me mm -hmm. and listening to their podcast. And then I got the complete part of a Python. I got, you know, started just kind of getting into that whole, whole world. Okay. Speaking of that, have you seen what the complete carpet Python goes for nowadays? Like thousands. <laughs> like what the hell? I'm just, 
I know. What? I don't remember where I even got my. I wish I had the book so I could sell it to buy another carpet python. Like, like <laughs> I, I do have it, but I can't remember how I got it. I don't know if I just ordered it like when it was like one of five left in stock, or it might have been one. No, because I think it was the complete. I have the complete boa constrictor too, and that one's hard to find as well. Mm-hmm. And that one, I think I got a friend to get me. Like they saw it at a show and were like, "Hey, I can get this for you," and I got it. But yeah, yeah. I don't know how I got it, but I got it not for three thousand dollars. Yeah, crazy. Oh my gosh, like <laughs> I was like, "Damn, okay." They were talking about it on um, snakes and stogies on the Herpeticulture Network. So excited for the new edition to come out. For which one? new like the second edition of the complete carpet python oh yeah yeah i need to i need to read the fucking book i haven't even read it i just carpets kind of fell into my lap that's like my own little story but uh, but um okay so you you hear the podcast you're like okay i can take the on the species what was your first carpet gretel's python so okay mm-hmm. so the first carpet i committed to was that pop one carpet python that i got from jacob brought okay Um, but that was like, he had just hatched it. So it wasn't ready to go yet. And then while that was waiting, I somehow somebody, okay. So another thing that I did, (laughs) sorry, I'm like so many tangents. No, I love it. (laughs) Helps me keep time going. You're good. (laughs) But like nobody here keeps them where I live locally. Like if you go to Repticon here, um, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good Repticon, but there's just not, it's not very well represented. There's a couple people that keep them, but they have very small numbers and they're not really producing much. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily like super big, like public people. Except are, for Casey Cannon. Casey's fairly right. local to you. Uh, well, the thing is he doesn't go to shows, right? He, might, but he doesn't, he doesn't vend. So right. I had made, I had basically posted on our little, we have a really good Georgia community page. Mm-hmm. And so I had posted on there like who here keeps Morelia? And this one person posted and they had all these cool snakes. It was, they had a rough scale. They had a brettles. They had all this, they had scrubs. They had all this awesome stuff. Her name's Jade. She's, um, Jade Alexandra's her name. But anyway, she, she was like, I basically talked to her and I was like, do you ever need help? Like, do you need help like cleaning cages or just like mm-hmm. anything? Like I'll come like clean poop for you or whatever. So once again, going back to your volunteering roots. Yeah, I'm very helpful. <laughs> um, so I, I, I went over to her house one time and talked with her and she showed me her collection. And then I ended up like kind of pet sitting for her a couple of times. So mm-hmm. I got to like, hold a rough scale and like be around them a little bit, like, which was mm-hmm. the first time I'd seen them in person. Mm-hmm. So that was really, really awesome. And then from there, she mentioned to me that Casey Cannon, I'd heard of Casey. And for some reason, I just didn't realize that he lived in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned that like I told her where I lived and she was like, "Oh, well, Casey Cannon lives like right by you." I was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> like right by you, right? Like, like 5 minutes away. Yeah. Yeah. So, I found out that he lived by me and I can't remember the exact turn of events, but somehow or another I found out that he had a hypo red lie available. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, I'm kind of interested in this. Like, what's the deal with that?" And he basically was like, "Well, if you live this close, like why don't I just show you?" So, we met in person. And he showed me some snakes and I was like, I've got to get that. So I yeah. I was like, okay, here I am. Like kind of my first, that was my first, like, it wasn't like a big investment, but like compared to what the other kind of animals I had had, like that was my first like decent chunk of change that I spent mm-hmm. on. So I got a, a hypo bread life from him. I think we have clutch my- mates. Yeah, we might, we might. I think my female is a clutch mate to yours because I I have a I have a Casey Can animal and I also have a Ralph Polinsky. Yeah, 
I've and got, yeah, I have, that's what I have too. I have one for, that's a Casey production and I have one that's from Casey, but produced. Yeah, we have, I think we have two clutch mates. <laughs> but yeah, so I got my Oz mm-hmm. and he is awesome. Um, And I fell in love. I mean, I just loved him. Like something about him just, I was like, okay, I've got to get more. Mm-hmm. So I got him and then I had already set up to get that male pop win. And then I started thinking about like, well, I got two males. I've got to get, you know, if I do want to breed down the line, because in the back of my mind, like I, I wanted the possibility of breeding. Right. Even if you don't do it. Right now, I'm not going to be able to because of where I live and just constraints that I have. But I was like, I know that's something that I would want to potentially do. So Mm -hmm. going to be having these animals, I might as well get a pair. And I, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm like not an impulse buyer. So I'm like really trying to think about like what I'm buying. Like I'm not the person to like go get a snake and be like, what can I, what can I put this to? You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. know. I'm like calculated about what I bought, even though yeah. I might not read them. So I got, uh, yeah, I got, I got the brittles, I got the pop ones. And, um, while I'd been obsessing over that, I got obsessed with rough scales. And so, um, I was actually talking about Lori, like me and Lori had talked about, uh, rough scales before because she hadn't really like she didn't really look that much into them. And I told her, I was like, oh man, they're so cool. You really got to like look into mm-hmm. them a little bit. And so she did. And then the next thing I know, she was posting that she had gotten one. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> it's but, like, so it's like, you're so excited for your friend. But you all like, God damn it. I was so excited for her. But, but the really nice thing was that not only like she had kind of like had my back too, because she had mentioned me to Ralph. And so she kind of hooked me up with a snake that I didn't even know was available. So mm-hmm. I would not have been able to get my rough scale if it weren't for her. So thank you, Lori, but also <laughs> mad that you did it first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rough scales are, that's an interesting species that I, I did not know much about, nor what I say I currently know much about, but what I do know is I very much want one. <laughs> well, the really interesting thing to me is like, well, interesting. It's just a weird turn of events. Like as I was getting into back, really back into the, into things and the swing of things, I went to the zoo, the Mm -hmm. zoo and all the species that I ended up becoming obsessed with, they had at the zoo. And I had like taken pictures of, because I was like, oh, these are kind of cool. Yeah. Like little did I know that like a year later I would have one. Yeah. I have pictures on my phone from when I visited the zoo. I took a picture of the rough scale because I thought it was neat just at the zoo. Same with the Bolin's python. Yeah. (laughs) I that's like so funny because I um I used to volunteer at a zoo before COVID and I volunteered before I even got into like reptiles like keeping them privately and my little name tag had like my name my department and like what my favorite animal was and it says green tree python because I didn't know you could have them as pets (laughs) you know I I didn't know that was a whole thing people did (laughs) well I didn't know you couldn't have bolins okay like I went to the zoo and I had just gotten back into reptiles. I was on some Facebook groups and like, I saw the Bolins and I was like, Oh my God, that is the most amazing. Like that is so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about like the rarity or like how hard to breed nothing at all. I just posted. And I was like, Hey, does anybody in Georgia like breed them? Like I was like, looking <laughs> and so like when people talk about like them being like hyped up and like, Oh, everybody just wants them because they're, you know, the, the, the cool thing that everybody says they want to have. I'm like, no, I literally just wanted it. Cause I saw it at the zoo and I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, like in that regard, 
how you go to a zoo before you have animals and you're like, oh, this is so cool. But then have you gone to the zoo since getting really into animals or gone to a zoo where you're kind of like, oh, I have friends with better collections than this? I have. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, like I would go to some like nature reserves and stuff and I'd be like a corn snake. (laughs) I'd be like, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I definitely have, but. Oh, it's so funny how that works. It's a pretty good one in Atlanta. (laughs) So right now looking at it like if you have uh, one of jake's animals he probably had uh morelia for like three or four years is that what you're looking at yeah i think going on three years three years okay so when did you start so for people who don't know you have a very excellent youtube channel and a very great online presence that i think you know like i say this as a friend but i also just say this as someone who watched your youtube videos before we were friends is like it is the perfect channel for someone who i would say has a kid who wants to get animals and they're like the parent trying to prepare for it well thank you yeah i think i think and i i mean also as a keeper there's a ton i learn and benefit from but you present your material in such like a positive and logical way that you can tell it's like very much thought out and not you know for clicks or views so when did you make that decision to start putting out material there publicly? And, and how was that? Like, especially with your anxiety and, you know, the fears that we talked about and, um, yeah. So as a woman in the hobby. Yeah. So I, so I'm not, I'm no stranger to putting myself on the internet. Uh, like I said, I started forums when I was 11, but I also do music. And so I, I've mm-hmm. long been putting cover videos and things like that up on YouTube. So that aspect of it was really not a fear of mine. Like I, I don't really have a fear of being on camera mm-hmm. or posting videos. So that was not really an issue. Um, but there definitely was kind of a fear of like, not necessarily a fear, but just like a trepidation because in this hobby, and it's for good reason, because I see a lot of people, you know, who maybe are preaching things that they don't have the experience to be preaching, but mm-hmm. I feel like there's a little bit of a stigma that anytime somebody new comes to try to have a presence, it, it's very easy for people to kind of jump on them and kind of tear them down. Yeah. It can be a little bit scary. Um, mm-hmm. That's just how I personally feel. And especially as I think as a girl, not to like bring that into it, but I do think that you get yeah. a little bit, you, you get judged a little harder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I we have a podcast about that. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> that's just me. Maybe I'm getting my no. Trust me. Yeah, you can ask the last thirteen guests. It's a yeah. It's so, a bit of a trend. It, it it took me a while. I wanted to feel like I was worthy, I guess, of sharing things. But at the same time, so I'm pretty sure the first videos that I started putting out were like vlogs. Like I went to Repticons and I just mm-hmm. filmed other people talking and me asking questions and. I was like, you know what? Who can get mad about that? I'm just sharing an experience. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have any kind of trepidations about that. And I really wanted to, like I said, we have a really great Georgia community. So I kind of did that just to kind of get some goodwill with the Georgia people. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I have, you guys have good animals. I'm going to share about, talk about them. Um, and then the next thing that I think I put up was a, which don't watch this video. I'm sure it's terrible, but <laughs> it was a video of like, I kept getting, okay. So I used to be a dance teacher before Mm -hmm. I worked for JKR. I was a dance and music teacher for like 10 years. Right. And I love kids. And I would, when I got back into snakes, I loved telling all my little tiny little girls in my dance classes all about the snakes because Mm -hmm. 
they're at that age where they might think it's gross because somebody told them, but then mm-hmm. also like open-minded enough still. Like nobody really at that age has like this crazy intense fear of snakes. I feel like right. that's later. So I was kind of like enjoying sharing with them my snakes and they would look at them and they would, you know, we would just make a thing out of it. But a lot of them would ask me like, well, where do they live? Are they just like, are they just in your house like a cat or a dog? <laughs> no. So I, made I get a- that. Yeah. yeah. So I made a video like, do my snakes just roam around my house and like showing how I do keep my snakes, like whether they're in a cage or at that time I had some snakes in that rack system mm-hmm. um, and just showing the different ways that I keep so that, and I shared it so that my dance students could watch it was really who I made it for like in my mind like I don't know if any of them actually ended up watching it but that was my intended audience was my little dancers um and then I really decided I think back in oh oh the other thing was I did some unboxings so Mm -hmm. and again that was more just because I'm really appreciative of the community and the friends that I have made and the people who have been kind to me and given me good deals on animals and talked with me and helped me out. And right. so I put up unboxing videos to try and, you know, just to help give them some promotion or marketing. And also because I'm an anxious weirdo and I want to make sure that I film when I open a box. In case yeah. <laughs> so I do that too. I get made fun of. I'm like, okay, here's me opening the box. It is alive. Thank you so yeah, much. And then- <laughs> I don't want to be like accused of lying or something. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I did, I did some unboxings and the unboxings, like a couple of them got kind of pretty, you know, like got some like decent views for mm-hmm. the fact that I did no at all editing or promotion or anything. And so then I decided I wanted to, um, I guess I just wanted to kind of share because I felt like I have animals that a lot of people don't keep as pets. A lot mm-hmm. of people do. Don't get me wrong. They're not, un- I'm not like some kind of person that has like these crazy rare animals. Like they're not that uncommon, but they're not a ball python, a corn snake or a crested gecko. You know what right. I mean? Right. And that, and that yeah. dominates the YouTube market. Yeah, it does. And, and I started feeling like, you know what, these animals, they do make really good pets for the mm-hmm. most part. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're a lot of fun to keep. And I wanted people to be exposed to that and have, and kind of see that this was an option for them. Mm-hmm. So I started the I started kind of getting like the idea that I should make more videos because I I was like, you know what? A lot of people are interested in these super dwarf retics cuz I was getting a lot of comments on my unboxing video about him. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'll do an update video on like what it's been like to have him for cuz at that point I had him for 6 months and I was like, well, I'll do an, a video about like what it was like to keep him for 6 months. Right like just all the things that I learned about him, how he acts, everything. And from there, I was like, you know, I can kind of do this about everything because I'm not an expert in anything in life, period. But I do have my experience Mm -hmm. and I have my journey and I might be here on my journey and somebody else is here. You know what I mean? I might be that much further ahead than somebody else. So they can still look to that to help guide them or give them information that they wouldn't have found otherwise. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I can help them to sidestep some mistakes that I made mm-hmm. because I've, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm one mile ahead of them on whatever journey we're on. So I kind of started thinking about it from that perspective and less about like, oh, I'm going to be the all-knowing like reptile guru telling everybody what they need to do. I'm not telling anybody what they need to do. I'm just telling people what I have done and mm-hmm. the I've observed, you know, so that's kind of the angle that I took and it's been really fun. 
to do. And I've, and I've really enjoyed kind of getting to share the things that I've learned because like I mentioned, it can be a little bit intimidating to do it. Right. But once I started, I felt very, I guess, empowered in a way mm-hmm. that like it's worth telling people even if, and, and I, and again, coming at it from like, I was a teacher and you mentioned like my content being like kid friendly and whatnot. Um, I want it specifically to be accessible to people who are not necessarily like total noobs. Maybe they are, but, but also maybe are just getting into it. Like they, they want to be in this hobby. They want to like be a part of this community, but like, that's, that's an area that I feel like there's a weird gap. Like you have your pet people and then you have like the hobby quote unquote. And then there's like this weird gap where like you have to really jump to get over. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to fill that in a little bit, at least the best I could where like, Hey, like maybe you do like just want a pet, but you're also taking this seriously. Right. Right. And I think you did an excellent job of that. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was going with it and hoping to kind of reach those people who I feel like are a little bit neglected um, because there's a lot of pet content out there and there's a lot of like hardcore, you have to know already what you're talking about or else it makes no sense kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. which is great if you know what you're talking about. But if you're not, I feel like it goes over people's heads. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, that was kind of my goal. And I feel like the, my, my history as a dance teacher and music teacher kind of helped me to be able to frame it that way. Yeah. And I think you do an excellent job of that. Like I said, like it is, and I I don't think my comment about it being like accessible for like a parent whose kid is getting the hobby, like, isn't supposed to be like a a negative thing. I think it's a very positive thing. Yeah. Um, Because I don't want to, I actually had a friend from high school who messaged me and she said, Hey, I saw one of your videos and I don't care about snakes at all, but I watched the whole thing and it was so interesting. Like it was so, yeah. I learned so much. And I was like, that is awesome. Cause like, that's what I want to do. Like I want people who are thinking about getting into this or maybe they aren't into it yet, but they want to mm-hmm. like, I want them to feel welcome. And mm-hmm. like, there's like, yeah, come on in. We'll help you out. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing that bothers me the most is when I see people being unhelpful and like mm-hmm. it's just no reason to be unhelpful like, right don't say anything at all like yeah. I don't know, like it just bothers me like we should sorry I keep hitting my mic no that's okay you're really into it <laughs> well we should be trying to encourage people to want to work with the these animals and to have the best experience they can mm-hmm. and that's kind of my whole purpose is I just I don't care if I sound stupid. I don't care if a really serious keeper thinks I'm silly or whatever. I want to help somebody that is struggling to have a better experience with Aaron Wells. That's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to. And I think it's I think it's really interesting because I would never say you sound stupid. I would say that you to me are a very similar like level of of education and you operate very similar to Emily with Snake Discovery. You know, you are someone who's here to educate both people who are familiar with the animals and people who just like are interested or it happens to show up on their YouTube feed. And it's this very interesting, it's a talent, I would say, to be able to appeal to both audiences in such a positive way. Because um, the other side of appealing to both audiences is like shock value, like videography, which 
yes, gets attention from both hobbyists and then also people who aren't necessarily in the hobby, but how much does that actually benefit those who are working with the animals every day and like working to protect them? Well, and, and like, I, I, I understand that side of it because I do social media for my living right? YouTube channel, but other people's YouTube channels. So I understand that need to get views and all that. But for me personally, that's just not what I'm really about. Like I just, Mm -hmm. like I said, like really what it comes down to is I want to make somebody else's life easier. And if, you know, like maybe I'll do like a goofy thumbnail. Like I did a video about how to get your snake out of your enclosure. And like I put on oven mitts. Yeah, I thought that was great. (laughs) But I'm not going to put like a snake like biting my arm or something on the Mm -hmm. thing just because I don't want to. Like I it's him that way. It's so funny because I will tell you, and this may make me sound like an idiot. I took your oven mitt idea and I used it because I was walking out of the door the other day. I had to, like, I was leaving my house and it was, the lights were already off and one of my green trees had pooped in the water dish and I knew I wasn't going to be back for over 24 hours. And I was like, I can't leave it with dirty water. So I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Summer had oven mitts on and like granted it was just for your thumbnail but I ended up grabbing my oven mitts <laughs> it was such a better idea than getting bit yeah why not like that's the part that that video in particular well you talked you mentioned earlier about like criticism or whatever yeah I was gonna ask you about that because that most one seemed to have a bit of backlash yeah most of the content that I put up has been pretty well received thankfully and I'm really appreciative to everybody in the community who has been supportive it really does mean a lot because mm-hmm. I do put a pretty good amount of time into the videos because I'm a weirdo anxiety perfectionist and I don't, I don't do things like halfway ever. Sadly, I wish I did. My life would be so much easier. Uh, But it does take me like a good amount of energy and effort. And like, I really have to get myself pumped up to do it. So thank you for anybody who has supported and watched, but I did get some like mild backlash for the video I made, which the principle of it was, Sometimes people, when they get a snake, they're, you know, it's going to be their first snake they've ever had. They're intimidated to reach into the cage. That's just a fact, Mm -hmm. not something Mm -hmm. like I'm making up. Like that's a fact that people post about all the time. I've FaceTimed with a girl in Australia to help her get her bread light out of the cage because she was nervous. Right. Um, So the point of the video was basically tips and kind of techniques that you can use to minimize stress for yourself and for the snake. So it was nothing groundbreaking. It's basically just a walkthrough of how you get your snake out, but mm-hmm. in a way that explains why you do certain things so that it hopefully kind of makes sense to people and can help them not have as many nerves. And, uh, but a lot of people got upset at the concept of people being afraid. Like that seemed to be what yeah. they were upset with was that anybody would ever be afraid of that. And I just think that's silly. I, I don't know. I mean, I just don't begrudge people who need help, I guess. And I feel like some people do and that's fine, but I don't. And it's my time and energy that I spent making the video. Mm-hmm. So I don't see how it concerns you. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess it's the kind of how I, it's kind of where I ended up with it. I was a little annoyed at first because I was like, why, like, why is everybody being so weird about this? Like, okay, you're not scared to get your snake out. That's fine. But some yeah. people are. <laughs> Some people are. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, well, you don't need to watch the video. Don't watch it. I don't know. Like, yeah, you then. And it was it was very interesting because you mentioned it because I'm like one of those weirdos who reads YouTube comments. 
Yeah. Cause I like to know what's going on. Um, but you mentioned it cause someone brought it up like this. Most of the backlash occurred in one particular Facebook group. Mm-hmm. It seemed to be majority for men. I mean, it was only men. Let's be real. But. Yeah. And it was, I would guarantee I'd place good money on the fact that none of them watched the video. That's the thing. And that's what I was. And that, that's kind of what I alluded to in that comment was. I don't think anybody because nobody criticized the video itself. Nobody no. said, oh, that point you made, like that second thing you said was wrong. Like nobody criticized the video. The mm-hmm. criticism was the fact that the video would need to be made, that anybody would be afraid or have any kind of trepidation about reaching in the snake's enclosure. Like, oh, well, then you shouldn't have a snake or, oh, you just got to get over it or, oh, well, you just get bit. Getting getting bit doesn't hurt. But like to me, that's just like the unhelpful opinions that don't actually have any progress or growth like they don't actually benefit anything it's mm-hmm. just like okay if you feel that way that's fine i'm just gonna try to actually help people i don't know like i mean not to sound like super conceited or something but like if you're not gonna help people then stop talking <laughs> I, don't so know. Then I have a question and if you don't want to talk about this that's fine but moving over to what you do for your job, you work for JKR, you do a lot of content creation there. Do you ever notice this level of backlash when you post videos of him that you've edited? So he gets some backlash, but a lot of his, he honestly, most of his is positive. He, mm-hmm. I have to say, is very, very well respected. And he really, for the amount of views and stuff that he gets, he's a very high like like ratio and all that like it's very much um very much positive mm-hmm. I think that's a lot attributed to his personality he's just a nice person but that being said no I mean th- like for instance he actually did a very similar video he mm-hmm. did a video called how to handle aggressive ball pythons aggressive oh my god <laughs> aggressive in quotations because mm-hmm kind of in the video he talks about like how you know snakes aren't really aggressive they're just scared mm-hmm. and it you know was not that dissimilar to mine mine was a little different because I was coming at it from the standpoint of like a, a snake that you might need to use a hook for you know a snake mm-hmm. like ones we keep like a green tree or a morelia something like that mm-hmm. my video is more geared towards that type of animal mm-hmm. he honestly talked about a, a lot of the same things like how you would get how to pick up a snake that looks like it wants to bite you mm-hmm. and I don't remember anybody saying anything about how people shouldn't be afraid of getting bit. Everybody mm-hmm. was just like, oh, this is a great video for beginners, which I mean, look, it's fine. Like I'm not, it honestly got me more views. Yeah. <laughs> more people clicked on the video because people were saying more stuff in the comments. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. But beyond just the fact that like beyond the, the criticism of like my video or anything like that I was just bothered by that mentality mm-hmm. it just bothers me that people are so resistant to helping people and mm-hmm. not only resistant to doing it but like like angry about it like I don't know it just seems so weird like I just don't understand that that mindset so yeah that was kind of what annoyed me I was like why are you so bothered by somebody needing help or somebody not knowing as much or somebody like being, uh, you know, more inexperienced than you because mm-hmm. the people that I, I like the most because I'm like, oh, I want to help you and hold you and give you a big hug and like show you all the things, you know? Right. Right. So 
and I and I I just want to clarify. I don't bring it up to like cause an issue or like be like divisive oh. between men and women, but like it's just well, it's just interesting. Like you know, I think it but it does go back to that thing of just like I think if most people. Well, the funny thing was was just like in that video on on that page, somebody commented like. Well, if you if you if you're scared to reach into your snake's enclosure, you just shouldn't own them. And I was thinking back to myself as an mm-hmm. 11-year-old, and I was scared. To, mm-hmm. I, mean, I was not scared of snakes, but there's something about reaching in a snake's cage mm-hmm. where you are the vulnerable, you're vulnerable, you right. know? It doesn't matter that the bite doesn't really hurt because mm-hmm. just there's that fear response, you know. It still sucks, like you jump, know. It's like a jump scare in a movie. Yeah. So I remember when I was 11 years old being nervous to reach in the cage and get my snake out and having to ask my mom to do it for me. Now cut to me 15 years later, I make my entire living working with reptiles. So you're saying I shouldn't have owned a snake. Like, I don't know. That's where I'm just like, it's just so, so such, such a skewed perspective. And again, just not helpful, which is kind of the antithesis of my personality is just my personality is to help anybody that I can. So. Yeah. And I think you do a very good job of that. (laughs) You're genuinely like one of the nicest people I've ever met. So. I mean, look, I can be real mean, (laughs) but (laughs) we all need that side. Yeah. Hurting or uh, helpless. I'm there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you touched it briefly, but let's dive in a little bit more. So you have what a lot of people would like think to be the dream. You work full-time for a very reputable facility. You are getting to work with really cool animals every day. And honestly, you get to do a lot of social media, which is someone in social media can be a lot of fun. You know, like I do a lot of social media for work and such, and that's always like a great time, but talk to me a little bit more about how you got started with JKR and, and how you made that your career. So first of all, it's kind of my dream too. Like when I, going back to me being 11, like, yeah. So I was on ballpythons.net and I had my little boa babe 448 or whatever it was my screen name. Um, and, and so I remember Justin was a member there and this was in 2005 ish. So he was really just starting out, but I remember him posting about some breedings he did and like on that website, you know, you could see where people were from and it said he was from Dakota, Georgia. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, he's from Georgia. That's so cool. And I remember thinking like, maybe one day I'll buy a snake from him and like, I'll be able to go and pick it up. Of course I never did. But, uh, anyway, was he, was he at ball pythons that time? Like, was it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that all he was working with? I think he, I think he had kept other things too, but like, that was what he's really bred. Like, I don't really okay. know much other than ball pythons. Okay. Um, so Anyway, cut to now or 2019, 2019, um, I was teaching dance and music and I was, but I had been, but I'd gotten back into the reptiles mm-hmm. and I was really into it. And there was, uh, I'm in this group, right? I've mentioned before this Facebook group, we have a really awesome Facebook community for the Georgia reptile people mm-hmm. and he's in there. And so he posted saying that he was looking for somebody to clean cages because he was changing facilities. He'd built this new facility Mm -hmm. and the guy that he had on staff wasn't going to be able to come with him because it was too far. Mm -hmm. And so this just so happened to coincide with me basically (laughs) turning 26, getting kicked off my parents' insurance. (laughs) Oh crap. I have no money. Yeah. So I saw that and I was like, well, you know, I work only nights because I was doing the dance teaching 
And so I was like, well, I guess I could just, I'll just apply. Like I'll just, I'll just send him an email and see if it works. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't, whatever, like I tried. So I sent an application. It was just like an email basically saying who I was and my experience with animals. And he emailed me back and was like, Hey, do you want to come for an interview? So I went up for an interview and I went and saw the place. And at that time they, ha- they didn't even have the snakes moved in yet. It was all bare bones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it went well because I got the job. <laughs> So I, uh, yeah, so I started out cleaning cages and I honestly, I'm glad for that. It was a really, really good experience. Um, it was very difficult in a lot of ways. And again, not to be like sexist against my own gender, but I think being a girl, it was harder because I'm not tall. So like I was having these really tall cages and it was really, I mean, it was a lot of physical work and Mm -hmm. a lot of snakes. So it was like, you had no downtime Mm -hmm. uh, and very procedural, like very much like there's a method and a methodology. And that is one of the reasons that he is as successful as he is, is because he has these systems in place that are, um, they're there, but then they're always in flux too. So if something isn't working, he's always changing it. Right. Because of that, it was just very much like, I've got to clean as many snakes as I can, as fast as I can, get everything done, but do it well. You know what I mean? Like, and again, I'm like anxiety queen. So like, I'm not going to like miss a, miss anything. So right. it was a really, really good experience because I got to really be hands-on with so many different animals mm-hmm. and really get comfortable because you can't have any kind of anything when you're having to clean that many snakes that, you know, in that amount of that amount of animals you just mm-hmm. you have to just be like okay i'm so confident you know what i mean so right. it really made me be confident with animals and more so than i was because it's different when you have you know your little collection that you're really you know them all really well and they're your snakes and you have all the time in the world to deal with them mm-hmm. but when you have 500 that you have to clean and they're all different sizes all different ages all different personalities and you don't necessarily know them all that's that's kind of a different a different thing to just be reaching into all these random tubs all the time mm-hmm. so it was really good really fun uh really hard but in the end i couldn't keep it up with my other job mm-hmm. i was i was working literally two jobs at once i was working for him from eight to uh noon and then i was working from one to nine at my other job like it was a full like 14 hour day for me and and teaching dance is hard teaching dance is hard too and i had a big i had a big I had an hour and a half drive between the two oh gosh sides of the city so it just was not working out and i was um, physically exhausted and mentally exhausted mm-hmm. and this also then COVID hit. So I was, had been doing that and it was really great. And I, I really liked it and I got along with everybody really well. And I felt like I did a good job. And then COVID hit and just things went crazy and I was stressed out and I was like, I've got to not do two jobs anymore. And mm-hmm. so, so happened that my other job offered me a full-time salary. So I quit Justin's and I was like very sad about that because I was like, you know what, this is something that I like, on the one hand, I was like, you know what? I got to do this. It was a great experience. Like, mm-hmm. wow. Like I never would have thought I would have gotten to work for, you know, such a big reptile breeder. And right. to people. Uh, but then at the same time, I was like, oh, God, I'm giving that up. Like what an idiot. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people would really want to be in that position. And here I am basically quitting. Well, not basically, literally quitting. <laughs> so 
I felt like kind of a kind of a like dummy for doing that, but I was like, I got to do what's best for like my mental health or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just really lucked out in that about a month later, Justin, I guess, didn't hate me. So he uh, he messaged me and was like, hey, will you, hey, do you have any, like, how's your new job going? Do you have any free time? Like, can you help out with some social media stuff just remote? Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure. So I started just doing remote, like posting on Instagram, Instagram stories, responding to messages, um, a little bit of website updating, and a little bit of like picture editing, just mm-hmm. really basic stuff. And then from there, it just kind of grew. So I was working full time for the dance and doing that on the side. And I just kind of kept getting more and more stuff on my plate, not in a bad way, uh, from Justin. And like eventually then I was editing his videos and doing a lot of his social media. And it just came to the point where he was like, look, I want to like expand my business and stuff. And in order to do that, I need to basically have more time for me. So I need to not be doing some of these other things. So can you come on full time to kind of take the load off me a little bit? Mm -hmm. So I said yes in May because that was when my dance contract would be kind of up because dance Mm -hmm. through the school year. And so I kept doing the part-time stuff, but in the back of my mind, I was like, you know what? I think that I need to go do that because it would be a nine to five job. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I The dance is something that I love, but it's a very difficult lifestyle to teach mm-hmm. and, and again, the reptiles is something that I had been dreaming about since I was 11 years old. Right. So I decided to quit my dance job and go on full-time with Justin. And I did that in February, I think. And it's been going really well ever since. I think anyway, I don't know. You don't have to talk. To <laughs> it's time for your quarterly review. We can bring in yeah. Justin. Uh, we're going to do it live. <laughs> so I think well, we've, I've, I've had a lot of fun working with him and we've, I think made some really great like steps towards like helping his online presence and just the community around his business grow. We started a Patreon, which has been really successful and so much fun. Mm-hmm. So Kind of person that likes to do patreons definitely check out justin's it's we're trying to put a lot of content on there and we have a discord it's really fun so it's been really fun i keep saying fun but that's what it is like it's fun yeah it's a good descriptor yeah like i get to do something that i enjoy like i get to talk about reptiles all day which is great like even if it is like okay i'm so tired of video of editing videos it's like but when I post it up, all these people who are into reptiles are going to talk about it. So it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask, like, with that, you know, you do spend all day with reptiles. Do you find it hard to maintain passion for your own animals that you're working with? Or is it still really easy to come home to your collection and like want to continue to work with them? No, I don't find it hard to maintain passion. But again, going back to my anxiety, I do, I do like the first thing I do when I get home is like shower. Like I'm very weird about cross-contamination. I was, I actually, I literally have a note and it says, how do you avoid cross-contamination on my, on my sheet right here? I have not that his collection isn't clean or anything, but you know, when you have, but it's any collection moving between, I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the only, like, I'm still just as excited to see my animals. I think partially because they're different. Like I'm not, I don't have any ball pythons at my house. And in a way it's great because I'm really excited about what is at work. Like anytime we're cutting clutches or I'm getting to film the babies or anything like that. I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool because I don't even have a ball python. I got, I had one, but I got rid of her. Um, Mm -hmm. 
when I come home, it's totally different animals. Like none of these animals are there. So I think that helps. And then with the cross contamination though, I do, I do worry about that. So I don't know if this is the best way. This is what I do. I Mm -hmm. basically, I leave my shoes by the door. I don't walk around my house in shoes. And the first thing I do is I take off my clothes and I get in the shower and mm-hmm. put on fresh clothes. So I mm-hmm. don't, I don't, I don't ever interact with my animals without having showered and changed clothes. Um, and most of my maintenance, I do do like water bowl changes and stuff, but like a lot of my maintenance is done on the weekends, like feeding and stuff, which is when I don't go to work, obviously. So right. I- way but that's really that's all i do i don't i'm sure i could do more mm-hmm. but i don't know maybe uh, life is life i've got to yeah <laughs> i think you're doing you're doing more than a lot of people would so <laughs> i'm sure i'm like very strict about it like it's a weird day if i'm home for more than five minutes without taking a shower because yeah. i don't want to i just don't want to risk anything not that not that there's anything that i think would be a risk but i'm just you know i wouldn't want to jeopardize anything that I have here or there. Yeah. Or there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about your current collection and, and what you're doing and how you do build slowly. So do you have any plans to continue to build your collection? Like what are, what are you looking at in the next couple of years? Yeah. So my main issue right now is my house is extremely small and mm-hmm. I and I can make room, but I'm gonna have to like get rid of furniture. Like, like it's like that kind of thing. Like, do you need a couch? I mean, that's what I'm wondering. Like, yeah. Ben, I mean, your boyfriend might think you do, but like, do you really? A chair. He's fine. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So I like I have some areas where I can expand a little bit. So I've got basically enough room for like one or two more like four foot cages, and then I'm kind of tapped out. Mm-hmm. So I really want to move so that I can just have a reptile room. And mm-hmm. then I'll be able to kind of grow into what I want to be because the things that I want to get short term, and I do plan to get this year, hopefully, are another a female Ruffy mm-hmm. and a female Super Dwarf. Mm-hmm. And then I'll at least have pairs of everything because it's kind of making me OCD not to have pairs. Yeah. Also, just because I'm that dummy that I always buy males first, mm-hmm. but for a reason, it's because I don't know if I'm going to like the species. And if I don't know if I'm going to like the species, then. I'm not going to buy a pair and it's really hard to get lone females. So I always just end up buying a lone male. It's, it's a dumb strategy, but it's what I always do. Multiple. No, I get it. So, so I need to buy female. I always, I'm always need to buy females for things. So I need to get a female super dwarf and a female roughy. Um, I say need, I want to, because I do want to breed. And the mm-hmm. reason I want to breed in the future is because kind of like the same reason that I wanted to start my YouTube channel. I think that because I'm so weird and have like researched so much and done so much like trial and error, mm-hmm. I I feel like I found animals that I think make really good pets and would be benef- like a, a good uh, addition to a lot of people's families and households and mm-hmm. smaller keepers and all that and bigger keepers too. But you know, just people that are wanting to get into reptiles i think that these animals would excite them and really be valuable for them but i think they're not that available right i mean especially not in my local area there is Mm -hmm. no like you are lucky if you find any kind of a carpet python at a repticon near me so i want to kind of merge the youtube channel with breeding in the sense of like education kind of like these are 
really good snakes that you can keep if you like these kind of things like you know what i mean like it's not for every they're not for everybody but there are a lot of people i think who do want a snake that is visible a lot in their cage that has mm-hmm. serious personality that doesn't get too big that is a good eater like there's so many great qualities about them that a lot of people would enjoy right so want to breed them to be able to educate with them and provide them to people who would enjoy them in their life. And I also want to be able to provide um, animals that are, I, I don't want to be a giant breeder. Like I want to stay small intentionally because I want to be able to provide my my animals with like big enclosures and stuff like that. Not that there's anything, I'm not saying anything about anybody else, but just for me personally, mm-hmm like to stay smaller and kind of have a, a niche group niche niche yeah i have no idea i get yelled at for that one but whatever <laughs> a group of kind of like really uh hand-picked animals i guess mm-hmm. not for color morphs or anything like that although i do find all of that very beautiful and fascinating but for like personality right mm-hmm. like like having snakes that are like okay this is a great fit for you is kind mm-hmm. of cool. so yeah, so yeah i want to breed down the ro- down the road but i need to get into a different house there's no way i have anything to do it here yeah but in the next year i can at least get kind of my animals that i will be able to grow up and then get started with those mm-hmm. and okay do you mind if i touch on briefly your boyfriend yeah so you do you live with your boyfriend yeah going on we've lived together three years okay and is he is he a reptile keeper no no Um, he's just very supportive he's very supportive and he does like the snakes and he i mean like on the one hand like if they magically disappeared one day i don't think he'd really care Mm -hmm. but he does like them and he'll like come in and be like or sometimes he'll be like one time he texted me a picture of one of them it was like so and so looked really cute and i was like oh i'm gonna marry you but he does enjoy them i think to a degree and he's interested in them and he doesn't he's not grossed out or anything but he doesn't have any fear Mm -hmm. he takes an interest so that's that's about all i can ask for you know what i mean like more than that so like he'll change a water dish if you're out of town maybe (laughs) maybe maybe okay you know so that's all you can ask for is a maybe like when i was setting up some of these cages like i said anxiety um i was really paranoid about the temps even though i had (laughs) set them like two weeks before and had been monitoring once about the of animals. course yeah of course i'll die and overheat so i had him like he gets home from work earlier earlier than i do so i was like hey can you go in there and check like the thermostats and like send me pictures and he totally did it all so he was he got some got some brownie points good <laughs> good um so we're about to reach our time which is crazy i could talk to you for a very long time um and i hope that we get to i'd really hope to i'd love to meet you in person at a show soon hoping to be at tinley i don't know if you're i don't know where you live. uh yeah so i've got tinley and daytona rooms already booked I'm hoping to be at tinley and possibly daytona too so we'll okay. see because i'm vaccinated and i'm like ready double dose i'm good i'm i'm double dosed i had my first like get together with friends like we're all vaccinated and i it was it was so fun because i might i've had a lot more animals i've gotten a lot more animals since covid started because i just spent a lot more time at home was really able to like focus on it and stuff and um all my friends i had the brettles out and i'm like you're gonna love this and they all did and i was like oh thank god and 
and Billy Hunt said it best. He's like, if someone doesn't like a Brettles Python, you don't need them in your life. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, everybody that I know. And like, that's one of the funny things that my boyfriend and I have kind of butted heads on is like, he has this thing where he feels like he wants me really badly, which I appreciate to have like a reptile room. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think that like it's becoming to have them like in the living room. Like, yeah. Really, like turned off by that. But every single person that comes over, automatically goes to the Brettles python is like what is that yeah they love it especially because you can have such cool setups with them well and they were like is that venomous I was like no (laughs) (laughs) I get that all the time especially with the green trees like is that poisonous or or on like on bumble or hinge like people like be like is that a poisonous snake and I'm like it's next to my face it is not like (laughs) get it right just come on just immediately block no um so we're reaching the end of our time but i would love to get what are your your thoughts or advice for younger women who are looking to get into the hobby so the number one thing i would say is like don't be intimidated like you just have to find like the first of all i would say joining the female reptile keepers group that dominique is an admin of is a great you'll find a lot of obviously women who are just generally great i will say it's very very like I, I do have to say this, and I'm not just saying this because this is Dominique's group, but I'm in a lot of Facebook groups. And when a beginner posts a question that somebody that's intermediate or more experienced would think is stupid, a lot of times they are met with just rudeness and not kindness. And I will say that I do not see that in the female reptile group. I don't know. Well, thank you. I don't know if that's because of the admins or what. I mean, maybe it's because we're all girls. I don't know. But, but usually if people are going to have that attitude, they don't last very long in the group. Yeah, but like it really is like people want to help. Like people mm-hmm. are help and be helpful. And I've mentioned before, I'll keep saying it again. That's my like number one personality trait. I'm an Enneagram 2 or whatever. It's like if you are new and you need help or you want to find a friend or a mentor, that is the place to go. Of course, there's a bunch of other places you can go to, but I think if you start there, you can find a group of people and they can help you kind of get connected. Mm-hmm. And so my advice would just be, um, in a way, don't follow the trends. Like, and I, I, I talk about this in my, one of my YouTube videos, but like, everybody has different personalities and everybody's going to be drawn to different species for different mm-hmm. reasons. So if you can stay away from feeling like you have to get a certain animal for any reason, because it's cool or because it's easy or because of whatever, if you can kind of mute that part of your brain and just think about the things that you would enjoy about a reptile and go from there, I think you'll have a much easier time and you'll bypass a lot of the transitions and stepping stones that a lot of us have gone through in keeping because you'll be focused on what is going to satisfy you and what is going to fulfill your desires more than what is going to kind of blend in and fit with certain people that you may want to fit in with. with yeah. Your and you're going to, you're going to pass over the, the rehoming stage. A lot of us go through. Sure, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is a stressful time. So, <laughs> so summer, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me this evening. I've had an incredible time speaking with you. Um, I'm grateful for your friendship, for your education that you've given me, and then also your time. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best place to find you? So I'm on Facebook. My name is Summer Grace Mitchell. And that's where that's just my personal Facebook. So don't creep on me. But uh, 
that's where you can message me feel free i'm friendly i'll talk to anybody i'm also on youtube girl with scales is my youtube channel and i have an instagram uh, also girl with scales so yeah if you want to find me on there i'd love to chat or follow you back or if you have youtube videos i'll watch yours love to get in touch mm-hmm. awesome well and as always all of those will be uh, linked in the description of this video in this podcast we don't post the video i look like shit but uh, <laughs> summer thank you again so much for joining us this evening um, i look forward to chatting with you more and thanks to everyone listening we'll talk at you next week <laughs>